Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Customer retention is equally important as acquisition. There's a lot of people who over-index on acquisition. You pull up marketing Twitter and it's 80-90% talking about ad spend and meta costs and what to do on Google and all these acquisition tools. And I think that your existing customer's experience and retaining those customers and turning them into advocates is just as important as all of the acquisition tools that are being talked about constantly. How can you create a better experience for your prospects, automate the handoff to sales, and fill your pipeline with quality leads? The answer, Canly. Visit Canly.com for your personalized demo. What's up, Val? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I wanted to just kick it off and just get a little background how you got into marketing. Uh, well, I have a theater degree, so obviously marketing is the logical next step. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did. I went to school for theater, and it's actually funny. A lot of um, marketers I talk to have a background in in theater in one way or another, either on stage or off stage. I was off stage. I was like behind the scenes, um, kind of making things happen. And theater turned into events. I worked in special events for a while, and um, you do inherently do a lot of marketing in special events, you know, getting people to come to your event. And I think I learned some some basic like sales and marketing skills uh, working in special events. But it wasn't until I went to start my own business. I was a virtual assistant before I knew what virtual assistants were. Like I just knew I had friends who lived in other places who owned businesses and needed help doing stuff. Um, so I helped them loading products into their Shopify store or adding blogs to their WordPress site, things like that. So I watched all these business owners as I supported them for a few years. And in the process of doing that, I obviously had to market my own business. So I was doing marketing and sales for my own business. So I would get new clients and build that those relationships. And my business was largely built on referrals doing great work for somebody and then they recommend you to somebody else and that whole funnel of referrals. And I approached a SaaS company about working with them. I was working on kind of customer onboarding at the time. And I said, hey, I'd love to work with you on your onboarding experience for all of your new customers. And they said, well, you know, we've read your your blog, your website, seen the way you've built your business and um, would actually love for you to come run marketing for us here. So I was the first hire in the marketing team at that company and learned everything I could about marketing kind of on the job, things I hadn't already done. I learned as I went and at this growing SaaS company, that's the... The beauty of working for a startup is learning as you go a lot of times and figuring things out. And that grew into going back into consulting and 
working on specifically, I, I kind of stuck with that like onboarding thing. Um, it's something I really love is figuring out, well, long-term customer retention, but that comes from, it initiates from like an amazing onboarding experience and kind of your initial, it's like first impressions matter, right? And it matters in marketing and in, in, in product sales too. It's like no matter what, whether you're selling a service or a product or a software, those first impressions matter and they can impact the customer lifetime value um, long-term. A lot of people when they talk about marketing, they just think, okay, customer acquisition, top of funnel or middle funnel. And even like the term bottom funnel is just like usually like what ends at a sale. It's not after the sale. So how do you think of what makes a great customer onboarding program and why why should marketing care about it? The area I work in now is called customer marketing, which is essentially like marketing to your existing customers. You know, acquisition is important. There was a period of time where I was like, no, no more acquisition. Just care about your existing customers. I don't believe that anymore. Acquisition is important. It's important to go get new customers. However, if that's all you're focused on, um, you're missing one, like the experience for those customers when you bring them in the door. Why go get hundreds of new customers if they're going to have a terrible experience and leave the second they come in? That's like the definition of insanity, you know, um, doing the same thing over again with terrible results. So I think caring about the onboarding experience and the way that your customers experience your brand is really important for acquisition. So that's why like marketers should care about what that experience looks like, because one, it tells you how to market your brand. So marketing is so much more than just like, brand promises and features or products promises and features it's like it's the the overall ecosystem of existing with your brand you know if you sell sheets if you're brooklyn and you sell sheets you can just sell sheets which are a thing people need for their bed or you can sell an entire like experience and lifestyle that is then connecting your brand to that customer so that when they think about buying new sheets, they're only going to come to you. So that's like why it matters to marketing because marketing is so much more than just features and promises. It's experience too. And the other piece is that those really happy customers can turn around and bring more customers in for you. So they can do the acquisition job for you. That's the like, the quick hit fun that everyone wants to build out their referral program or their affiliate program. And most of those are not built properly. They're kind of like an afterthought, like, oh, well, we should have, we should have a referral program and send an email about that or, or have a pop-up on our website about it. That's kind of the extent of it. But if you think through the overall experience and their, their journey from buyer to customer, it becomes more cohesive and you see the like the the flywheel that exists between someone who didn't know about your brand to now they are using your brand and now they're loving it and then they're going and telling other people about it and they're, that person goes into that same flywheel. I mean, it should all tie together. Yeah, and I also think like people mistake that like customer retention is also like a 
customer acquisition play because like you said before, usually your customers are your best advocates, your best marketers. They're talking about you so that experience matters throughout yeah. the phone. Like every touch point matters. I want to go into like, how do you think about designing a good customer experience? Like what goes into like that thought process to do that? It's a little bit quantitative and a little bit qualitative. So you want to take a look at your ideal customer, the, that kind of like best customer that you have. And it's probably a, a combination of a few different customers. But what are the things that they do that lead to success with you down the line? And this applies whether you're a SaaS company or a product, um, any type of company can can look at this. I talked to a customer of ours who sells a protein supplement, and they recognized that after three purchases, that's when they know they have a customer for life. So you're buying protein supplements, you're making your shakes every day. After three times, you're pretty much hooked on that brand. And so they really focus on the experience of getting to that third purchase. They don't really actually consider that customer a fully sold customer until they are at that third purchase. And then they're thinking, okay, how do we retain them? How do we get them onto subscription? How do we make this experience better for them now that they've bought three times? So like looking at that kind of cycle is really important. Identifying those things that customers are doing that make them successful with your brand. That's the kind of quantitative side. What are the things three purchases, it's adding on two additional products. It's like whatever those qualifiers are for your brand, looking at that. And on the data side, also like looking at what are the messages that you're sending that they're interacting with? You know, are they, is the definition of a successful customer someone who has opened every single email you've sent? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's a different path. Um, but knowing all those different kind of hard data points. And then the qualitative side is going and talking to your customers and finding out like what are the things that they really enjoy about your brand? Um, where do things kind of fall off the track for them? And then like what are they telling other people? I talked to a, a customer of ours who said that she was talking to a friend who was starting a business and she said, okay, let's sit down right now. We're, I'm going to set you up. Like you, we're going to, I'm going to open a Clavio account for you. We're going to walk through it and we're going to set you all up. And our customer did this for her friend with her friend without any prompting from us because she was so successful on the platform. So for us, it was like, what's the ROI on the software that she's spending money on? There's different kind of qualifiers there. But the fact that she said, well, this is the way I go about advocating for your brand, that then gives us data that we can take back and, and plug into the overall experience and, and prompt people to become, her name is Pamela, so like prompting other customers to become Pamela's of the world and go out and, and tell other people and sit down at a coffee shop with their friends who are starting a business and help them start an account with us. Like that's, that's invaluable. And we couldn't get that without knowing, without knowing her, I would have never known that that's how her friend started on the platform if I didn't go and talk to her and identify like that's a, a trigger for new customers to come in. 
I love the approach of qualitative and quantitative coming together because I think numbers only tell you so much. It could be just because someone's opening emails, like you said, doesn't mean they're a true customer. And just because someone says they love something about your product, like they, they said online, they love something about your product could mean like, doesn't mean that they don't like something about your product. Right. There's always something that they're not saying in their like written feedback, even if you run like an NPS and you get a score and then they have the like free form fields. Um, there's always something they aren't saying. So send the surveys, look at the hard data, but also just like get on the phone with your customers and talk to them and find out what matters most to them and how you can make an impact. Um, one thing that you said about that I, I resonate with is that the best type of customers like have success on your product and then talk about your product to other people. So it comes down to like them being successful in your product. How do you go about working with like product and let's say product and like packaging up the product with those teams to make sure like that experience is like a hundred percent, because like you said, like part of retention marketing is not only like, the messaging and stuff like that. It's also like making sure like the product is set up for success. So customers talk about it. The whole experience, right? Like if you're Brooklyn and then you're selling sheets and your sheets are scratchy, um, people are going to be mad about that eventually. Or maybe it's that it takes five washes before those sheets really break in. And you only know that because you've talked to customers. You need to be able to get that feedback back to your product team because they need to know, oh, well, if it takes five washes before they're like fully broken in, do we want that experience for our customers? And if we do, then we need to message on that. We need to give them instructions like, hey, wash your sheets twice before you ever sleep in them. And then know that every time you wash them, they're going to get softer and softer. You know, doing that kind of messaging in your educational emails and SMS, like those kinds, and even on social and in on your website, on your product pages, all those things matter. But your product team might say, well, that's not our intention for the product, and they should be as soft as they're going to be when you get them out of the package. So we need to go back to manufacturers and say like, hey, you got, we need to wash them five more times before they're packaged. And then that obviously goes into pricing and there's like, it's a whole ecosystem, right? Like you can't just put it in the emails and call it good. So that's where like 20% of getting customer insights is the gathering of them and like putting them into a document into some kind of, you know, a, a spreadsheet or a deck that you can share with people. That's like 20% of the work, which is a little disheartening to hear because it's like you're talking to customers, you're figuring out all this long form qualitative data, you're sorting through it, you're putting it in an organized way. But then you have 80% more work to do, which is going and distributing those insights to your team. And if you're a team of four, that might be really easy. But there's always like this wealth of information problem where everyone's taking in all kinds of information all the time. So whether you're a team of four or a team of 400, you have to figure out as that person that holds those insights, how do we distribute these so it's meaningful to the people I'm going to talk to? And like which of these data points is meaningful to the people I'm going to talk to? The product team might not care that 
Pamela sat down with her friend in a coffee shop, but they are going to care about what Pamela told her friend to do first. Is she supposed to set up campaigns first or flows or like, should, should she add her brand logo? Like, what are the things that a friend is telling another friend to do first in the platform? So knowing which insights to share with which team, and then also how they receive it, like a designer is going to want a very visual representation of insights. If you give them a doc, that's a wall of words, they're never going to read it. So you just have to kind of know your audience and adjust the deliverable to that audience. But, and this can be done on like a very small scale or a large scale, depending on the size of your company. The way you put that also reminds me of like, that people forget that content marketing should also be done internally, not only externally. Cause like, for example, when you create, when you create content, you've only done like a quarter to other work. The next job is like, how are people going to see it on different platforms on different channels? How it's going to get distributed? Is it distributed? Right. And that's exactly what you're saying internally. Like, okay, I've created all these insights. Now, like, let me package it up for, different channels, which different channels in your point are different teams and making sure like those insights get consumed. Otherwise you just created a deck that nobody's going to read. What was the point? Well, and it's also not, not here's this blog we wrote. You should share it with your customers to like the support team, but We've heard from you, the support team, that customers are running into these issues, or we've heard from customers that they're running into XYZ. So we wrote these supporting blog posts that give some strategy, that dive into real life examples. There are screenshots in there. There are quotes from actual customers so that you in support can share these with customers when you run into these things, right? So it's like, what is in it for them? And how are you making their life easier through the content that you created? That's the way that you distribute it. I think a lot of people, it's funny, because like, as marketers, we are very good at marketing externally, but we're not like when it comes to how do we market internally, like you said, like distributing content internally, we kind of draw a blank. It's like, same thing. You have to think about benefits over features. You know, you have to think about what's in it for your audience and your audience might be your coworker and that's fine. But we do have to be marketers of our own work internally too. How can you create a better experience for your prospects, automate the handoff to sales and fill your pipeline with quality leads? Canly scheduling automation helps marketers convert high value leads and quickly connect them to sales. Visit Canly.com for your personalized demo. What is a marketing hill that you would die on? <laughs> uh, that customer retention is equally important as acquisition. There's a lot of people who over-index on acquisition. You pull up marketing Twitter and it's 80-90% talking about ad spend and meta costs and what to do on Google and all these acquisition tools. And I think that your existing customer's experience and retaining those customers and turning them into advocates is just as important as all of the acquisition tools that are being talked about constantly. The thing is, they're not as easy to do. They're like, it's a long-term game. I mean, I think the reason people talk about 
ad spend is because it's pretty instant. You can put money in and see how it performs and then have your data back. And it's it's also fairly black and white. There's obviously like platform issues and things like that that go on, but you get pretty instantaneous and clear results with retention and building out advocates of your existing customers and, and customer experience. It's a little bit softer, right? Like the results are a little bit harder to track. It takes more time. You know, it's it's not instant, but you can if you are tracking it and if you are paying attention. Hey, we have customers in our who are part of our affiliate program and the average lifetime value is 3 months longer if for someone who's in part of our affiliate program than someone who's not. That's significant, right? So being able to track things like that will give you the same kind of like adrenaline bump that you get from uh, acquisition data. One thing that I've just learned in B2B SaaS is like also like why retention and acquisition should work together because like some channels that you acquire customer on could have like a lower lifetime value also like they the onboard they have a longer onboarding they have all these things that have trouble where like if they came in a different channel and stuff so like tracking after the sale of like how a customer does what's their mps from that channel helps you like long term say like is this like a like the effects are good now but like is this customer going to stay long term you can't just look at ltv as like a a blended number you also have this put LTV by channel sometimes as well. Yeah, that's huge, right? Like if you're chasing somebody around the internet with retargeting ads and they just eventually get sick of seeing you and so they click on your ads and buy your product, is that a customer who's in it for life? Or, you know, if they were hanging out with a friend who told them about your product and then they got their referral link and so then they got a little discount and their friend got some money and then they made a purchase, like, are they going to stick around a little bit longer? I have my guesses of what is true and what's not. But, you know, the the amazing thing about marketing is that a lot of times what you think is going to work really well does not at all. And what you don't think is going to work. It's like when you A-B test and the one that you're you're like, that one's going to win for sure. It's always the one that fails. Um, so, you know, you don't know until you try to track those things until you look at like which channel is actually giving us the best return. And, and not just like LTV, but also looking at, Hey, customers that come in through paid ads, for example, send in more support tickets than customers who come in through an affiliate link, right? Something like that. So you can look at other data points that tell you about like the general health of a customer. While we all care about revenue, what I think people forget is that like <laughs> revenue can come from saved time on support and not paying all those additional support hours, or you now have a lower number of tickets in your support queue. So your existing customers are getting support faster. So they're happier. So it's like, there's like these trickle down effects of certain things, certain activities that you just have to know what to look for and, and think creatively about how you're measuring lifetime value. It's not just revenue, like in the traditional sense. Also, like you said, like, CAC, for example, like if you actually added like support costs into CAC, you just like know like, oh, that could actually, it actually raises CAC if you go to the channel and we have to hire more support people to be able to handle 
the amount of onboarding questions and support questions. So actually like the CAC is higher than you actually think for acquiring that customer. Um, you could do the same thing with like, like an industry influencer promotion where you're, you're doing a partnership with an influencer, but every customer who comes in through that influencer expects a certain level of service that they are just, the company just cannot meet. So then you're burning out your support team and now you're having to hire a new support team and train them. And like, that's a huge expense. So we're not going to partner with that influencer again because they're, audience believes a certain level of support is required and we aren't able to support that. So, you know, just like those kinds of data points that I think not enough businesses really dig into. Another question I have for you is like, I know it's tough to predict what's going to happen, but what is a trend you're seeing right now in marketing that people should jump on? Yeah. I mean, I am seeing that like retention is starting to matter more to brands. I, man, I've worked in retention marketing for six, seven years now, what I don't even know what time is uh, anymore, like I've completely lost track. Mm-hmm. But I worked in retention marketing before it even really existed. And nobody had job postings for a retention marketing manager or a director of retention or anything like that. That was all expected to be rolled into CS or rolled into, you know, email marketing. And th- while those channels are places where retention is impacted. I'm seeing more and more roles posted focus on retention from particularly subscription brands where they're saying, hey, we need to find a way to keep our customers around long term and to convert more of our existing customer base into these long term subscribers and build those relationships. So I do think that retention and ultimately like we're heading into a recession for, you know, as far as we all know. So companies are looking at cutting costs and thinking about how can we be more strategic with our spend and focusing on customer marketing on customer retention and the actual customer experience inside of your brand um, is becoming more and more important versus like hiring people to, to run ads, to go out and throw events and attract customers that way. Those those more traditional uh, marketing routes are, they're still there and they're still very important, but I definitely see retention on its way up. Even if there are those which are important, I agree. I mean, customer acquisition, like right now, People care about efficiency more than anything. And the way to be more efficient is retain the people that are coming in the funnel, not just bring in a bunch of people in the funnel and then they bleed out. Um, So like it's important to acquire high value customers. And the way to do that is one, get the high value customers in and then give them an experience that they are going to talk about and share and feel good about and, be great, happy to be on your product. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, a brand new brand can do that. You don't have to have hundreds of customers to leverage the customers you have or thousands of customers or, you know, you can do it with a couple dozen customers. You can do it with your first. I mean, I think back to like when even as a service provider, when I was a consultant, it was a fully referral based business. Like I did very little. I never bought ads. I did very little actual marketing other than content marketing. 
And I built my business on those referrals. And obviously, I was one person. I couldn't have dozens of clients at any given time. But, you know, creating a really great experience for my existing customers helped them build a new customer base for me that included a wait list for a very long time, you know, so you can do it with on a small scale and you can do it on a multiple hundreds of thousands of customer scale like we're doing now at Clavio. If someone came to you, they're starting an out in marketing right now. What is some advice you would give them that they would come back to you and thank you five years later or a few years later down the road? People new in fields love to lean on playbooks, like frameworks and industry standards. Those are really great foundational pieces. But my advice is like take the things that work for you, that resonate with you from those playbooks and frameworks, and then leave the rest right? Like you don't have to take the playbook from another brand and apply it 100% directly to your brand. It's not going to work that way because that's the playbook from another brand. And even if you like, if you worked somewhere else and saw a really successful win, you can bring elements of that to your new role, but you really need to think about what pieces are the most important for this audience for this role, this work that I'm doing, and let everything else from that playbook or framework go. So you might borrow one piece, and that's like a huge winning piece. But if you try to apply the entire framework word for word, it's not going to work out. So take what works and then leave the rest and make it your own. You know, that's how these things evolve over time. If we're all just copying each other, then our customers are going to start to notice too. Yeah. The last point of the customer note is great, but also like people don't realize that sometimes when you're copying, it's like they already have a team in place that are resourced to execute that framework. That's one. Yeah. I mean, I used to get like, as a consultant, I would get people who would come to me and say, we want emails like Glossier. Like, okay, cool. Do you have a 10-person email marketing team? Do you have the resources to hire the graphic designers that they use? And so it's not that you want emails like Glossier. What is it about Glossier's emails and their strategy for email that make you attracted to them? And being able to pull out those pieces and and identify them and then apply to the way you're going to do it. Yeah. And then the one thing that you just said as well is like, what is resonating in that with those emails that could resonate with your audience because your audience is not going to be the same as Glossier. It's like Glossier has attracted some sort of audience. Like maybe you're going into the same sector as them, but like if you try to do what Glossier is doing, you're just going to be Glossier and you're not going to win. So you have to figure out how to be different and attract the audience a different way. So you can't just be Glossier. That's what people just don't understand. It's like one, your audience is going to be different too. You're not Glossier 3. It took them years to get to where they are to be Glossier. Your email strategy is not going to make you Glossier. Right, exactly. You can't copy-paste in this in this world. Who are some people that are inspiring you in this space right now, retention marketers or mar- marketers in general? Um, I talk to a lot of, uh, in the SaaS world, I talk to a lot of uh, customer marketers. And there's... One woman, her name is Leslie Barrett. She does customer marketing for Sendoso. 
um, which is a gifting platform. She inspires me so much. She is educating the community on, you know, here, here's how we do it. Here's how we win. Here's how we prove our, the, the work that we do connects to revenue for the company. But she's also very customer centric and kind of just pounding the pavement constantly for the customer themselves and what they are experiencing from the brand. And I believe that she truly makes the brand as a whole more driven toward what the customer wants and less about like, oh, well, we built a feature because we thought it was necessary. But no, we built a feature because Leslie shared with us the feedback from a customer advisory board or some interviews she had done or because of all these case studies she wrote, she and her team. And that kind of level of leadership of constantly putting the customer in front of your team and reminding them who they're building for, it's just incredible to watch. And, and the way she gives back to the community is, is wonderful too. The, the education that she does for the rest of us as we all march toward this goal of better customer experiences and better customer retention. It's really fun to see. Just to pick about that, Sendoza does have one of the best like customer advisory experiences slash customer advisory board that I've seen because mm-hmm. I've I opted into it when I was a customer at Sendoza yes. and it was just they're just on par and a lot of people just don't think about a customer advisory board is one of the best things you could do if you have the resources to do it right. Right. It can't be one-sided, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Oh, well, that's great. I will pass that on to Leslie. She'll be thrilled to hear that. Last thing is, where could people find you? What you're up to? The best place to find me is, well, Twitter and LinkedIn a lot these days. Uh, So I'm at LoveVelGeisler on Twitter, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And kind of spending time across both platforms. I don't know. Sounds like one of them might not last long. We'll see. And then I, my website is the most solid place to find me if every social media platform goes down in a ball of flames. Uh, ValGeisler.com is the best place to find me there. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining. It's fun chatting yeah. and I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I will talk about this anytime with you. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.